Amen. Here in Psalm chapter number 34, we're going to be beginning with verse number 17, but there's something that I want to share with you as we get into the Word of God this morning. And there's a thought uh, that somebody spoke, and it is this, that if God's presence is with you in a dungeon, it will be as a palace. But if God's presence is not with you in a palace, it will be as a dungeon. You see, the difference is, it is whether God's with you or not, whether you're aware of God's presence in your life or not. How many of you know that we can go through life with God or without God being active in there? Amen. Amen. And so this, this truth that I want you to see this morning is hinged on this. It is whether you are experiencing God or not. Because you can know all the right things and not experience God. You can know all the right things. You can, know all, you can go to all the meetings. You can sing the right songs. You can turn to the right page, and you can answer the right questions. But if God's not active in your life, everything that you do will be as a dungeon. Conversely, conversely, if God is active in your life, the circumstances won't take the smile off of you. Amen? The circumstances, and what I mean by that is, it's not determined, the, the level of my joy is not determined by my circumstances. The level of my joy is determined upon God's presence in my life. That's why the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. So it's not about my circumstance, it's about where I am. Amen? A lot of times, you know, people will get mad in a circumstance and they'll say, God, where are you, right? As if God has gone somewhere. God hasn't gone anywhere. God will turn around and say, where are you? Where are you? You remember what he asked Adam when Adam sinned? Adam, where are you? Come on now. So where are you? Are you going to God? Are you actively, you know, experiencing God? Are you participating in this thing called the spirit-filled life, the spirit-led life? Remember, it's either of the spirit or of the flesh. If we're not walking in the spirit, we're going to be led by the flesh. And if you're led by the flesh, you're going down the wrong road. That's why people, you know, led by the flesh, all they can do is complain about things and whine about things. But people that are led by the Spirit of God, even when the circumstances are turned upside down, they press on. They press on. Now, I want to show you this this morning. In verse number 17, look what it says here. <clears throat> it says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all. All their troubles. The righteous cry. First off, before we get going in this, make no bones about it. If you're righteous, it's not because of your church attendance. It's not because you brought a big offering to some church. It's not because you did this and you did that. If you're righteous, you're only righteous based on one thing, that you have laid down who you are and you have received who Jesus is. You've come to the end of yourself, and, and the righteousness of God is in you because of Christ. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So that is 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
That is such an important truth. If you're going to be righteous, it's because of what Jesus did. There's been an exchange that's taken place. Amen? So we're not righteous based on our goodness. Amen? Our righteousness, the Bible says that your righteousness and my righteousness is as filthy rags. But you know what we like to do? We like to say, God, I've served you for 18 years now. God, I've been to, God, I've been. We try to call God to record on our goodness. Lord, look what I've done. Do you remember what the, you remember the guy, the prideful guy that was praying when, when Jesus was talking about him? He said, you know, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. But I fast, I tithe, amen? He was, he was calling to God record on all the things that he did. Um, I, I, I go to church when I can, I give when I can, I do what I can, and God says, not impressed, not impressed, not impressed. Do you want to know something that impresses God? It's when you refuse to glory in any good thing in you, but you glory in the good thing that Jesus did on the cross for you. That's what God, that's what gets his attention. That's what causes God to say, all right, now we got something to work with. Somebody who has come to the end of their self, who doesn't think they're all that in a bag of chips, but they are depending on what I'm doing through Jesus. That's why he said that God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world. God was in Christ reconciling himself. to God wasn't in you through your church attendance reconciling himself to the world. God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world. The work that Jesus did on the cross is what brings us into a place of reconciliation with God Almighty. The God who made this universe, the God who made the stars, the God who made the animals, the planets, that God, that's what brings us in right standing with him. And now all all of us, all of us have no understanding of what that means. We we cannot fathom what it means to be reconciled to God. We can just get a a, a glimpse of it. We can just understand it in part. But the fact is, is that you and I deserve to go to hell because we're sinners. You and I, there's no good thing in us. Our flesh continually tries to sin. Our flesh is falling apart. Our flesh is going down the wrong road. But if you're born again, praise be to God, the Spirit of God is alive and well inside and is leading you and guiding you on the highway of holiness to lead you into the path of righteousness that you can walk and obey God in all things, not some things. And so what we see going on in this verse is it is the righteous that we're talking about. Amen? The righteous. So this is not about you. This is not about your church attendance. This is about you depending on Jesus. That's what it's about. This is the key. This hinges everything. Who your hope is in. Who your trust is in. Where your faith lies. It's not about what somebody else did to you. Because newsflash, somebody's always going to do you wrong. And here's another newsflash. You're not all that great. Amen? The best that we've ever done really isn't that good anyways. So let's just kind of throw all that out the window. Amen? The only thing that impresses God is when you lean on Jesus. Leaning on Jesus. Amen? Leaning on Jesus. And, and so the work that, that Jesus did, that's, I love this verse in the Bible. It says that God is a respecter of no persons. Amen? 
God is a respecter of no persons, but here, who are we? Who are we? We sit there and we say, I went to church seven weeks in a row. I went to church. I went to church for 18 years, or I did this, and I gave all my money to the poor, and I went on a mission trip, and I did this, and I did that. God said he's not a respecter of persons. You know what he respects? The work Jesus did on the cross. That's what he respects. That's what he looks at. That's, that's what he looks at. That's why, you know, Jesus is the only person that God ever said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. He never said that about me or you. He never said that about nobody else. He said that about Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Nobody else lived a way that pleased God. Amen? Jesus never lived a moment without pleasing God. Most people don't understand that. Most people, you know, we just think he never sinned. Well, you know, he's God. He's not going to sin automatically. But number one, not only did he not sin, everything he ever did was the complete and perfect obeying will of God. He never did anything. You know, there's a difference between uh, perfect will and permissible will of God. Amen? God might allow you to go to McDonald's, but that's not his perfect will for your body. Come on. There's a difference between perfect and permissible. The perfect will of God is different than permissible. But Jesus, he never did the, he never did the kind of good. He never did the, you know, he got it in the same ballpark. He did the, he did the exact thing that the will of God always intended. In every circumstance, when he looked on somebody and he had compassion, that was the will of God. When he, when he talked to a Pharisee and he rejected the prideful heart of the Pharisee, that was the will of God. He never at any moment did anything outside of God's perfect and complete will. That's why he, he obeyed God. So it says here in this verse that the righteous cry. Now listen, it's not talking about whining and complaining. When it says the righteous cry, it means that we have a direct line to God. You ever heard that song, God's on the main line? Here's what you need to know is that the righteous know what to do when the going gets tough. We know not to, you know, we know not to grunt harder. Ugh. We know what to do. The righteous cry. The prideful, the prideful grunt harder. The righteous say, God, I need you. The righteous say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. It doesn't make you weak to need God. It makes you righteous. It, it, it means that you're going to God in a needful, and, and, and God, I need you, and I need your help, God. I can't do this on my own. You want to know how to get to God's heart? Pray this deep theological prayer. Help me. You don't have to pray, you know, some, you know, theological, you know, prayer that'll get you a Ph.D. degree. Well, you know, ontological father who flung all the stars in the sky and numbered them and named them and all this kind of, you don't have, that doesn't impress God. Amen. Amen. Doesn't impress God. 
Impress God? Help me. Help me. The righteous cry. The righteous cry. So number one, this is talking about laying down your defenses. This is talking about laying down your pride, laying down your, your, you know, your self-absorbed wall that you put up, your mask that you put on. A lot of times people go to church and they put on the, 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 the mask, you know, the church mask. How are you doing? Great, blessed, everything's wonderful, everything's great. We're, we're victorious and we're pressing through. But you talk to them, you know, outside of church, and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Life is upside down. I'm barely holding on by a thread. Uh, I'm just thankful I've got breath in me right now, but I'm ready to give up. Amen? Amen. So, you know, we want to get to God. We need to take the mask off. God can see through the mask. So you're not impressing God. Amen? Amen? And what does it matter about everybody else? Because, look, they're not going to go home with you. Why do you want to live to impress somebody else when they're not going to be there in the midnight hour? You need to get with God. You need to lay down the mask off. You need to take that off and cry out for help. Sometimes we need to remember, you know, that it, it, is, not, it is not that we impress God with our mask. We impress God by our need for help. Amen. So here it says that the righteous cry, the righteous cry. And when was the last time that we cried before God? Not whining, but I mean tears, thinking on how good God is. A lot of times we cry because we're like, you know, oh, the neighbor got this and I've been left behind and nobody likes me and nobody's caught. And, you know, there's tears of whining. That's not what this is talking about. Is not talking about the righteous whine. It doesn't say that, so don't even think that. Don't even go there. The righteous don't whine. They cry out to God for help. Amen? It's a difference. The righteous cry. Who do, why would we cry to God? Because we know who God is and we know how good he is. Amen? And we cry out to him for help. Amen? Righteous cry. Well, I don't cry. A lot of guys, you know, especially in the South, you know, it's like we, you got to be all macho and stuff like that. Well, how are you going to do that with this verse? You just going to skip it? That's what, you know, that's what false teachers do. They take a little scalpel and they, 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 they take that verse out of the Bible. Righteous cry, though. See, a man of God, a man of God weeps. You're not going to be a man of God if you don't weep. Every prophet of God wept. Heard a, 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 a prophet say this. He said, if your preacher don't weep, weep till you get a new preacher. But, but weeping is, is a characteristic of God's people. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And, and, and the amazing thing about when Jesus wept, he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew. He's God, right? Doesn't he know the future? So he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but when he looked on those that were hurting, he hurt. Now, if it was us, we, we would say, now hush, leave me alone so I can go raise him up. 
That's foolishness. Come on, I'm about to raise him up. Stop. Dry it up. Suck it up. Come on. But even though he knew what he was about to do in their lives for their brother, he saw them hurting and he hurt. He took the time to hurt with them. Amen? Jesus, that's a big bar, big example right there. And, and, and so the men of God today, if we're going to be if we're going to be the kind of people that God raises up to change a generation, we're going to have to get back to weeping for souls. We're going to have to get back to the place where it's okay to weep before God, where it's okay to be weak, it's okay to hurt, it's okay to cry. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord, though. Praise the Lord. Now watch this. It says that the righteous cry... And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord heareth. So, the, no, number one, when God's people pray, God hears. God hears when his people pray. You may think that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, but if you are God's people, God hears your prayer. And Robert Murray McShane, he said one time, he said, you know, if, if we thought, that Jesus was in the next room and was listening to all of our prayers, we would pray and believe different. Think about it. If you really thought he was listening in the next room with his ear pressed against the door, you would probably pray a lot different. But he's listening. The word of God says he's listening. The word of God says that he intercedes. Amen? He intercedes day and night for you and me. He's praying and lifting us up. He's interceding. He's our mediator. There's no other mediator between God and man except for the man, Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. He's the one listening. So he's waiting on us to pray. Is he not? He's waiting on us to ask for help. Is he not? He's waiting on us to go to him in prayer. Is he not? And look what it says. The Lord delivers them out of how many troubles? Oh, you know, the amazing thing about this word, if you look it up in the Greek or the Hebrew, it still means all. <laughs> How about that? You don't have to go to, you know, some, you know, Greek school and study this word and, you know, change its meaning and flip-flop it around and stretch it out like silly putty and make it mean something it don't. It all just simply means all. Now, how does God deliver the righteous out of all their troubles? So every time that you cry, God's going to just kind of wad it up and give you a new script? No. It means that God's going to deliver you, means that God's going to come beside you, and God's going to sustain you in it. God's going to sustain you in it. God's going to change, sometimes not your circumstances, you. A lot of times we will be in a situation and we will be all focused on the situation when if we'll just stop and cry out to God for help, God will change sometimes not the circumstance but our hearts. God will change our view of the situation. God will change our perspective. God will cause us to see it from a different point of view. Amen? God, but 
But God will deliver us out of all of our troubles. One of the things I was sharing with earlier is, you know, whenever uh, Paul and Silas, they were preaching the gospel and, you know, they got in trouble for preaching the gospel. And if they preached the same kind of gospel that people preach today, they probably wouldn't have got in trouble because today most people preach humanism and not God. But if they would have been, they were preaching the gospel and they got in trouble and they got thrown into prison. You remember this? In, in, in the Philippian jailer, you remember this, right? They got thrown into prison. And it was in the midnight hour. You remember this part. It was in the midnight hour that Paul and Silas were doing what? Why did this happen to me? I, I've served you for, you know, seven years now. They weren't whining. What were they doing? They were worshiping. They were making war in the spirit. They were pressing forward and setting their eyes on God. Amen? And, and, and look at this. When they were in prison, they did not have a verse of scripture that said, if you worship me at midnight, I'll get you out of prison. Well, do you know this, is, this, this will actually help you a lot explain our culture. If people don't have a promise like that, they're not going to do it. People today, our generation, if they were thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, they would only be worshiping if they knew God would get them out at midnight. If they had no promise of ever getting out of that prison, most people wouldn't worship him. All, for all that Paul and Silas knew, they would have stayed in that prison the rest of their lives. God, even if I got to stay in this situation the rest of my life, hallelujah, I've got victory in Jesus. That is exactly what they did. They cried out to God. God changed their perspective because they began to worship in a prison with no promise of getting out. So they cried out to God and God delivered them not only you know, from their perspective, but God also opened up the prison and let them out. But they had no promise of that. They chose to worship God in the worst times with no promise of nothing ever changing because God is good and he deserves our worship. Amen. Amen. God is worthy of our praise. You know, it says the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of our lips. You know, most people, they sing with a golf clap kind of mentality. You know, victory in Jesus. But, you know, the sacrifice of praise is when it costs you something, when you're not feeling victorious, to sing, I've got victory. When you're not feeling it, to still worship him anyways. That's when it becomes a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship. That's when you begin to stir God's heart. That's when the righteous cry. Even in the middle of my circumstance, even if you never change it, you're worthy of my praise. Think about Jonah for a second. When Jonah, you know, Jonah, he, he, he started going the wrong way and they threw him overboard because he didn't want to go preach in Nineveh. And remember what happened? The big old fish came and got him. 
But think about this. His heart changed before his circumstance changed. Some of y'all went, oh, wow. So we're all, you know what we're doing? We're waiting on our circumstance to change, and God's waiting on our heart to change. We're sitting there complaining about our circumstance why we only have five and they have ten. We only have three and they have six. We only have one and they have two. Everybody else has it better than me. Nobody's ever had it this hard. You don't understand what it's like. Da, da, da. We can all go down the line. We can all go down the list. But there, there's got to be a point in time where we all say, you know what? I don't care about my circumstance anymore. It's time for me to just worship Jesus. It's time for me to get lost in his arms. It's time for me to fall in love with the king of kings again. You know, that's what you were made to do. This life is just fleeting. It's just for a moment. It's here today. It's going to be gone in a few more days or a few more hours. We're all going to be gathered around the throne of God. And in that day, we're going to be doing what we were made to do. And that is to worship the Lamb of God. Amen. That is to sing praises to the King of kings, the Lord of glory. And in that day, it won't matter what our circumstances were like here. We're not going to be gathered around the throne of glory saying, well, you didn't have it as bad as I did. We're going to be too enamored with the beauty of the Lamb to worry about how bad our circumstances were in our time on earth. We're not going to be worried about who had the bigger job title, who had the most spiritual gifts, who knew the most theology. We're not going to be worried about none of that. We're going to be focused on, there he is. Look at, there he is. There he is. The radiance of his glory outshines the sun. Look at his eyes. There is flaming fire. Look at his hand. You see the hole in his hand? We're going to be worshiping the Lamb of God for all of eternity. We're not going to be worried about who, you know, you didn't have it as bad as me. And if we desire God's deliverance today, we've got to take our eyes off of our circumstances. Your circumstances will not change until you change. And you're not going to change till you take your eyes off your circumstances and place your eyes squarely and firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Then and only then will you change for the better. If you keep your eyes on your circumstances, you will change, but not for the better, for the worse. If you keep your eyes on your circumstances, you will grow cold and bitter. You will grow cold and bitter, and you will change, but not in a godly way, in a satanic way. Because that is exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to keep your eyes on your circumstances. He wants you to judge how good everybody else has it and how you have it bad. He wants you to be worried about why nobody said hi to you, why nobody did this for you. He wants you to worry about everything else under the sun except for the one who gave his life for you. So it says that the Lord will deliver them out of all all their troubles. 
The Lord will deliver us out of all of our troubles. That means that there is no circumstance under God's green earth that we will get ourselves in that God won't change. He may not change it the way you want it to change. And a lot of times he'll change your perspective, but something will change if you'll focus on Jesus. But if you focus on why you only got four and they got eight, Oh, you'll change. You'll change exactly the way the devil wants you to change. You will change your way out the doors of the church. You'll become a bitter person. When everybody else is experiencing victory, you'll be hoping that they trip and fall on their face. I don't know why you're smiling so good. If you had to do what I got to do, you wouldn't be smiling. Come on. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He will do anything he can do to get you to stop looking to Jesus. He will get you to hate people that love you. He will get you to to despise people that are prospering in Jesus. Notice I didn't say prospering in their bank account. He will get you to despise people that are prospering in the Lord. Do you know that misery loves company, right? When, and, and the way that you can tell where, the, way, the best way you can tell where your heart is looking at is look when other people are starting to prosper in the Lord what your first thought is. Even the people you don't like, even the people you think are sorry individuals, when they begin to lift their hands and worship God and God starts changing things in their lives, do you hope the best for them? There's a heart test for you right there. Because if you're looking at Jesus, you're going to be rooting them on. Because your focus will be on everything going into his kingdom. But if you're not focused on Jesus... You'll be hoping that they fail so they can know what it feels like like you do. You'll be hoping that they fall down. You'll be hoping that they mess up. You'll be hoping that they experience hardship. Where is that from God? Why would we ever wish hardship on any other person? That is not from God. That's from a heart not looking unto Jesus. And that is a warning sign. That is a warning sign. We were driving yesterday, and we went to the, to, to the traffic light, and it was red, and Benjamin says, go, Daddy, go. I said, I can't go. i got to stop on red, and Sarah just shouted out, and yellow means slow down. I said, that's right, baby. Yellow means slow down. That's right. It, 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 and, what, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because if you're looking at other people and you're enjoying it when they struggle, that's a yellow sign. You need to slow down. You need to just consider the way you're going. You might need to stop and go a different direction because if you are overjoyed when other people struggle and endure hardships, you might be not looking unto Jesus. That's a big yellow sign. Amen? The righteous cry. We cry. We cry out to God for help. 
we look unto the Lord Jesus and the Lord delivers us out of all of our troubles. Amen? Do you know that there's sometimes that I wish, I wish God would have changed my circumstance, but he didn't, he changed me. Amen? There's a lot of times, a lot of circumstances, I wanted God to change it a different way. But God didn't want to change it that way. I'm not God. He is. Don't, don't fall into this, you know, this thing, this new thing coming out in churches where, you, you know, you're your own God. You get to, you know, you're not God. There's only one God being. And you ain't it. Hate to burst your bubble. But you're not God. He's the potter. We're the clay. How will the clay turn and tell the pot how to make it? This is not how you're supposed to do my life. This is... But if we'll keep our eyes on him, he will deliver us out of all of our troubles. I don't know how he'll do it, but he does it. Paul and Silas had no clue that God was going to break them out of prison. Jonah, when Jonah's heart turned, he did not have a verse of scripture that says, if you'll change your heart, I'll cause this fish to puke you up. He didn't have that. But he just, he turned, his heart turned. He got on page with God. He got on the same page with God. Paul and Silas, they didn't have a verse of scripture that says, you know, Worship me at midnight and the the prison doors will open. They didn't have that. But they chose to worship him, listen please, despite their circumstances. God is worthy of your worship despite your circumstance. Your circumstance might be harder than the person sitting to your left or to your right, but I promise you, no matter what your circumstance is, God is worthy of your devotion. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of your adoration. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your heart. And if you want to see God move in your life, begin to worship him in the midnight hour. Begin to worship him in the midnight hour when it doesn't make sense. Amen? Amen? When it doesn't make sense. You know, some of the biggest trials I ever had in my life, you know, I, and, and, and this is not to knock anybody, but, you know, sometimes you go through trials, some people press forward and some people pull backwards. And I don't know what I would have been able to do. I don't know what would have happened to me in my biggest trials of life. But when, when I'm going through trials and tragedies, you're not going to keep me away from God's house. You're not going to keep me away from God's people. And sometimes... You need to know this, that that the enemy of your soul will do anything possible and give you any excuse imaginable to keep you back from God. But when you're going through a hardship, you need to make a determination that you're not going to allow nothing to come between you and getting closer to God. You need to make that determination ahead of time. Amen? It, it, It is about drawing near to God, and God will draw near to you. James chapter 4, right? Verse 8, draw nigh unto God and God will draw nigh unto you. When you're going through a hardship, church, don't press backwards, press forwards. Amen? All right, let's go to verse 18. 
Verse number 18. So the righteous cry, the Lord hears. And aren't you glad that God hears your prayers? Huh? Aren't you glad God hears your prayers? The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse number 18. The Lord is nigh. For those of you that are from Texas like me, that means near. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many, everybody say many, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. All. Now listen. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and of a contrite spirit. You know what it takes to get close to God? To be broken. To say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I have no strength left. And I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. Every time I try, Things get worse. Things get darker. I start thinking wrong thoughts. I start wanting to give up. I start wanting to stop hoping. I stop thinking that my best days are in front of me. I stop thinking the godly thoughts and I begin to think thoughts that Satan wants me to think. A broken heart says, God, I don't have all the answers. Just like it says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You see, it doesn't make sense. A broken heart says, God, it doesn't make sense, but I'm not going to lean on my understanding of the situation. I'm trusting you with it, God. This is the definition of a broken heart. A heart who is not calling out its demands on God. If you're trusting God and leaning not on your own understanding, you're not calling in demands on God. You're not stomping your feet and pouting and looking at how good other people have it and, you know, cursing them and wishing that they would trip and fall. But a broken heart says, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I need you. I need you, God, and I'm trusting you with my life. I am turning it over to you. I am turning it over to you. Do you know that there are burdens down in your heart that you have not given to the Lord? You need to release those things to God because you don't have the understanding that is needed to lift that burden. No, I used to have a mama like that. Every time I had a problem, my mama tried to lift that burden. She came running. She was like the Kool-Aid guy that came through the wall. But you know, there are, there are things in your heart that you're struggling with. Now, you've got to release those burdens to God because you don't have the understanding about how to solve it. 
You're not going to figure out how to make it better. If Think about this. Paul and Silas did not plan on how to get out of prison, so let's worship. They didn't devise a plan out of, about how to get that burden lifted, did they? They didn't read a book about how to get your burdens lifted by worship. They just released it to God. They said, God, this, if we get out of here, we get out. If we stay in here all the rest of our days, we stay in. I guess I'll never write two-thirds of the New Testament, whatever. If we stay in here, we stay in here. If we get out, we get out. But you know what? We're in here right now, and we're going to worship God right now because God's worthy of our praise. I'm not taking my eyes off of Jesus. I'm worshiping him for who he is and for what he's done for a wretch like me. Because I know me and I'm a wretch and I deserve to go to hell. Amen. But God loved me. And God gave the son for me. The son of God willingly laid down his life for me. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my adoration. And if we'll begin to think like that and lift those burdens up to God and say, God, deep down in my heart, there are so many things I've been holding on to. There's so many questions I don't have the answers for. There's so many things I cannot understand. But God, I'm releasing them to you. I am not going to lean on my own understanding from this point forward. I am releasing them to you, and I choose not to focus on the circumstance, but to focus on the Savior. I choose to not look at how bad things are, but I choose to look at how great a thing God did for me. I choose not to worry about my condition, but to worry about him, to think on him, to think about his goodness and his greatness and his love for me. And when we begin to do that, those burdens will begin to lift. The Bible says to cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Amen? Amen. And if we're burdened down, if we're overburdened, if, you know, if, if you're not walking in victory, if you've got those burdens deep down in there, sometimes, you know, and, and it's not just guys. I know that society tells, you know, it's just guys. They don't know how to communicate their feelings, and we don't. But all of us are like that. All of us don't know how to pinpoint exactly what the problem is. Amen? But God does. God knows how to get in there and reveal to you what the true problem is. A lot of times, you know, you'll be mad at everything, kicking the door and slamming plates and, you know, mad at people, hanging up on folks, not answering the phone and not doing this and not, you know, you'll be just acting up, showing your tail. You'll be acting up and not know why but there's something on the inside that you don't know the answer for it. You don't know why you're going through it. That's a burden. And, and, and you're not going to know the answer for it. If you could figure it out and the burden be released, you'd be the burden lifter. Amen. But I got news for you. Burdens aren't lifted in between your ears. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. And the sooner you lay down your burdens, the sooner it gets lifted. 
But if you choose to continue to try to worry that, to, to, you know, wear that burden out between your ears, try to figure it out, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to change this situation? If Paul and Silas would have been worried about how they were going to get out of prison, they, their bones would still be in there today. They did not have a promise they were going to get out of prison. They only got out of prison because they worshipped and the gates fell. And if you'll quit trying to figure out why things are going on in between your ears, not worry about the why, but focus on the who. Focus on the who, not the why. Amen? God's good. God's good. God has not forgot about you. God has not forgotten about you. God's eye is on you. You may feel like God has forgotten you because of what you're going through. You may be, you, you might, you just might be worse than Job. Maybe. It, is it in the realm of possibilities? It is in the realm of possibilities. Your life could be worse than Job's, but most likely it's not. And Job was called righteous. He kept his eyes on the Lord. He, did Job know why everything was going wrong in his life? You know, his friends, they kept trying to tell him, it's, it's going wrong because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. Sometimes life just, you know, gives you some sour apples. We live in a fallen world. But the great news is this life is not all that there is. The great news is this life is not all that it's all about. This life, the only thing this life is about is who you put your faith in. That's it. It's whether you get born again or not. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son, the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3, 36. That's all this life is about, whether you're going to believe on Jesus or not. True life doesn't begin until you pass away. Once you pass away, you pass on to the other side. The Lord carries you over the Jordan River and you enter into Canaan land and that promised land. That's when true life begins. This is not true life. This, all this is is about whether you're going to get saved or not. That's it. Why are we going to let some circumstance take our eyes off of that? Why are we going to let it? If, if we went around the room, we could all wear out a piece of paper with our problems. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not even joking because we, we, I mean, we would throw some tears on that page. Burdens, they do not get lifted between your ears. You're not going to figure out how to conquer it. You're not going to figure out how to live with that burden. You have got to go to Jesus and he lift the burden. Now look what this verse says. Look what it says. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You want to you experience God's presence in your life? Go to him brokenly. Go to him and tell him that you need him. Go to him and tell him you don't have it all figured out, but you need him. God will draw near to you if you'll draw near to him. 
God will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Now, I started out by saying this. I started out by saying this. That a, a dungeon with God's presence is a palace. And a palace without God's presence is a dungeon. Circumstances will be for you. Circumstances will be against you. Sometimes we have good years. Sometimes we have bad years. Sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. Some of you are like, Pastor, I've had a bad decade. Okay. Sometimes you have a good decade. Sometimes you have a bad decade. But God is good whether our circumstances are favorable or not. And God is worthy of our praise whether our circumstances are good or not. And if you want your burden to be lifted, go to God no matter your circumstance. And God will draw near to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. God will meet you when you come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And the easiest way to say that is this, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why I feel the way I do. I don't know why I can't get past this. I don't understand myself right now, but I'm not like I feel like I should be. I'm not like I remember how it used to be. And God, I need help. That's, that is a much more theologically sound prayer than God who flung the stars in the sky. Although he did, it's more about asking God to help. The righteous cry, the righteous cry.